1: Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand-new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com.
2: Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com.
3: You could use pellets as a baseline, this is what you would expect from during a traditional pellet boil, um, and then the contributions from the extract fraction of those pellets only in the kettle, and then uh, independent from that, the contributions from the spent material only in the boil.
0: This week on the show, Daniel Sharp and Tom Shellhammer join us to talk about a peer-reviewed paper comparing hop pellets, CO2 extracts, and extracted hop material in kettle hop additions. This episode originally ran in May of 2017. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode that you won't want to miss. We're here today to discuss some work that you recently published as a peer-reviewed paper in the Master Brewer's Technical Quarterly. That work was focused on hop aromas derived from early kettle hopping. More specifically, we're talking about non-volatile precursors that may survive boiling and contribute aroma. Why don't you start off by telling listeners a little bit about these precursors?
3: Sure. So as we know with hop aroma, that's quite the complex beast. Um, lots of different chemicals involved. One of these, uh, one one thought is that there's some non-volatile precursors, uh, a class of precursors called glycosides. And these are essentially aroma molecules bound to a um, non-volatile uh molecule such as a sugar in this case uh, which we would call a a glucoside uh, if it were glucose and these can possibly become volatile through the hydrolysis or cleaving of the bond between the the a glycone or the sugar molecule and the aroma molecule and thus
4: liberating the, the aroma molecule and volatilizing it and there's some evidence that that this occurs in other plant systems. The, the wine folks look to this as the source of of wine, some wine flavor in some white wine varieties. So it's it's while it's somewhat new to the hop business, it's not um, like totally groundbreaking new in terms of food science. In fact, some of this work kind of got started back at Miller, um, Miller Brewing Company, when they started playing around with, with looking at glycosides, of just Hank Goldstein and, and Pat Ting. You,
0: you guys worked not only with hop pellets, but also CO2 extracts, and your hypothesis was that CO2 extraction might not fully extract all of the components responsible for hop flavor and aroma in beer. What, what sort of drove you to that hypothesis?
3: Um, well, one, kind of what Tom was talking about before with uh, other plant systems or, excuse me, other uh, other breweries looking into this, but also because the CO2 extraction process focuses mostly on uh, the nonpolar compounds and leaves behind the the, the more Polar compounds, such as uh, these these precursors. So that's kind of where we we started with this: is looking at uh, what is extracted into hop extract in terms of aroma compounds, and then what's left behind in the in the plant material, which
4: would um, possibly be these these precursors. Yeah, we were we were trying to get a uh, a fairly clean way to discriminate between the aroma that came from the oils and the potential aroma that came from the non-oil fraction. And when you, when you brew with hops, whether they're whole hops or pellets, um, you can't really separate those apart. So we were going to use the CO2 extraction process to essentially remove the oils and hop resins from the plant material and look at their contribution in comparison to what was left behind uh, in the spent material.
0: That's interesting, and I think it's something that most brewers would, would agree with because anybody who's tried to replicate a hop pellet recipe with CO2 extract has probably had some, found some difficulty um, with the flavor matching there. Okay, before we go any further, we probably ought to explain supercritical CO2 extraction to listeners. Most brewers have probably sat through a lecture on this process at some point, but it's not exactly something the average brewer thinks about during the day-to-day in a brewery. And to get the best explanation, it never hurts to call an expert. Hello, this is Carl. Hi, is this Carl Van Evenhoven? Yes, it is. Hey, Carl, this is John Bryce calling from the MBAA. How's it going?
5: Good,
0: John. Thanks I, I for calling. Guess, I guess I should specify I'm calling from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, not the Medical Billing Advocates of America or the Mississippi Bail Agents Association, just in case you're a <laughs> member of one of those associations, too.
5: Uh, nope, just, uh, just the brewing one.
0: Okay, good. Okay, Carl, <laughs> now you're the, you're the Senior Vice President of Operations at Yakima Chief Hop Union, right?
5: Yes, that is correct.
0: Okay, so I'm guessing that means you probably know a thing or two about supercritical CO2 extraction?
5: Uh, Yeah, you could say that. Um, My first gig at Yakima Chief was to design and build our uh, supercritical CO2 facility. So, uh, yeah, definitely spent some time there.
0: Awesome. Okay, I'm working on a story for the Master Brewers podcast. Um, Are you familiar with the podcast? Have you heard of it? Yes, I am, yeah. Oh, great. You're a fan, huh? Yes. Cool. Well, you know, maybe Yakima Chief Hop Union should sponsor the podcast. I don't know if you've heard, but this whole craft beer thing has really taken off, and, you know, all the best craft brewers out there listen to the Master Brewers podcast. Right on. It's not a bad idea. All right. Well, anyway, I'm calling because I'm doing some research, uh, doing a story about some research that you helped with. Um, It was a study a few years back. Do Do you remember Daniel Sharp from OSU? Oh, yeah, certainly. Okay. Well, I'm going to ask a favor. I'm hoping that maybe you could explain supercritical CO2 extraction to our listeners. Would Would you be willing to do that?
5: Uh, sure, I can do that. I uh, should probably start with uh, what the heck is supercritical, huh? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, for CO2, um, it's basically a critical point for every fluid, and for CO2, it's 88 degrees Fahrenheit and 1,070 PSI. So uh, what we do in the process is we take hop pellets and uh, run supercritical CO2 through those pellets above that critical point. Um, the CO2 is under quite high pressure, but it's a pretty gentle temperature. Um, and it just so happens that all the uh, good resins and hops, uh, the alpha, the beta, and the hop oils are soluble in supercritical CO2. So when we pass that through the pellet, what you get is a resulting pure resin hop extract that uh, basically has the consistency of honey, um, and we put that in cans and drums, and you can use that hop extract just like you would uh, a hop pellet on the hot side of the brewing process.
0: Very cool. Well, thanks a lot, Carl. I really appreciate it.
5: Yeah, you bet. Uh, I'll add another thing, too. Yeah. Um, the, uh, there's a lot of nice efficiency gained by using hop extract in the brewing process, and one of the neat things I've seen over my career is kind of there's this stigma that, oh, only the big guys use that. But uh, you look at a lot of the awards being won in craft, there's uh, a lot of extract going into those beers because it really helps the brewer dial in their bitterness and consistency. So, for example, if you put 150 grams of alpha, which is a, a common small can size, into a 15-barrel batch, you will get about 30 odd views out of that. And you can use pellets throughout the rest of the boil and dry hopping and, and dial in the other flavor and aroma and additional IVUs you want. But, um, there's more and more brewers now using extract at the tail end of the boil. Uh, because those hop oils are present, you can, you can get those same aroma, uh, aroma benefits as well. So,
0: uh, it's a really nice
5: product, helps a brewer with consistency, quality, uh, profitability and sustainability.
0: Very good. Well, thanks a lot, Carl. Have a good one, and um, maybe I'll run into you either out at Hop Selection or at the 2017 Master Brewers Conference in Atlanta this October.
5: Yeah, both will be great. We'd uh, love to show you around Yakima if you're out this way, so look forward to it.
0: Great. Cheers. Have a good one, Carl. All right. Cheers. Goodbye. Bye. And for those listeners that uh, require something more visual, I'll also point out there's some other great uh, resources, some some very good TQ papers that explain this process. If you type uh, supercritical, all one word, into the search bar at mbaa.com, you'll find a paper that Carl Strauss wrote in 1986, another by Hughes and Simpson from 1993, and of course, Daniel and Tom's new peer-reviewed paper, which we're discussing today. You can also find presentations that describe various hop products, including supercritical CO2 extracts, by searching the Master Brewer's website. I know Mike Sutton from Hopsteiner has an especially good one that's in the district presentations archive, which can be accessed from the meetings tab at MBA.com.
3: Coming up... I think oftentimes there's a, uh, a perception that the kettle boil adds little or minimal amounts of aroma. What we found here is that there, there is some contribution, aroma contribution, from uh, the kettle additions.
0: I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas.
1: Additional support provided by...
2: Brewer Supply Group is now the proud exclusive distributor of Dingamans Malt. BSG is thrilled to partner with the Dingamans family and to distribute their superior quality malts to brewers, distillers, and homebrewers in the U.S. and Canada. Dingamans Malt combines modern techniques with their long-standing focus on quality and service for their customers and remains 100% independent and family-owned. Go to bsgcraftbrewing.com to learn more. And thank you also to... Fermentis is the obvious choice for beverage fermentation. From large and small breweries to home brewers, we've provided the beer industry with the best fermentation yeast since 2003. The yeasts are easy to use, just pitch fermentus yeast directly into your wort, no rehydration necessary. To learn more about how fermentus can improve the quality of your fermentation, visit fermentus.com.
0: The Master Brewers' calendar is a hot mess, as you might imagine, due to COVID-19. Almost everything in April and May has been postponed or canceled, including the Brewery Packaging Technology course. Definitely check the calendar events at mbaa.com for the latest updates. Here are some events that remain on the calendar as of April 3rd. The District Texas Spring Meeting has been rescheduled. The new date for that is May 29th in Fort Worth. District Midwest meets at BrewDog June 27th. District Northern California has moved their meeting at Drake's Brewing to July 23rd. The best brewing conference worldwide only happens every four years, and it's happening this August. WBC 2020 will be held August 1st through the 4th in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find all the details at worldbrewingcongress.org or just follow the link in the show notes. The District Texas annual summer meeting in Kerrville is August 7th through the 9th. The Master Brewers Brewery Systems Technology and Maintenance course begins September 13th in Madison. The District Northwest Fall Meeting is scheduled for October 9th and 10th. The Master Brewers Brewing and Malting Science course is October 25th through November 6th in Madison. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Now, back to the show. All right, this study was was rather complicated because you guys were examining uh, the contributions of pellets, CO2 extract, uh, and also spent extract material in four different cultivars. Uh, could you tell us about your approach to run all these different trials?
3: Yeah, so looking back at the what we knew about CO, supercritical CO2 extracts and pellets and the leftover spent material and how these might be applied to brewing, we approached it from uh, the standpoint of, let's look at this in the kettle because of the way these certain compounds might be uh, uh, extracted during the kettle boil, and then look at their hydrolysis throughout um, throughout brewing the other reason we looked at it through kettle boiling is because we wanted to try and minimize the bias or the effect of the essential oils because we're we're concentrating mostly on these uh, non-volatile precursors and the contributions from these Um, and so if we just looked at additions in the whirlpool let's say that would have a higher oil content then uh, it would kind of bias that so the idea was using the the volatilization process through kettle boiling um to to volatilize some of those non uh or excuse me some of the volatile precursors uh involved so we also chose four different hop cultivars so simcoe citra cascade and centennial um, the purpose for this was uh citra and simcoe at the time were some considered some of the newer school hop varieties if you will um this paper was done around in around 2010 um 2011 and so really looking at the contributions of of these cultivars um, in relation to some of the more traditional american uh aroma cultivars such as cascade and centennial so the reason for looking at pellets extract and spent materials separately was to kind of look at the to look at the different fractions or the different components of pellets so we could use pellets as a baseline this is what you would expect from during a traditional pellet boil Um, and then the contributions from the extract fraction of those pellets only in the kettle and then uh, independent from that the contributions from the spent material only in the boil so, as you mentioned, one
0: of the goals you had was to figure out which fractions of some of these newer u uh, s aroma varieties were driving the aromas that come from kettle additions. Uh, what would you say you learned there?
3: I think oftentimes there's a uh, a perception that the kettle boil adds little or minimal amounts of aroma to 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 beers um, and that what we found here is that there Especially for some of these newer varieties, such as Simcoe and Sim- Simco or Citra, that there is a considerable or uh, there is some contribution, aroma contribution from uh, the kettle additions.
0: Now, your sensory analysis uncovered some statistically significant differences. Why don't you tell us about those?
3: Yeah. So what we noticed was in uh, large the the most aromatic or Intense, intensely aromatic treatments were the extracts, uh, and then followed by the pellets for each cultivar. There were some contributions to aroma from the spent material, but in uh, for each for each cultivar, they were at the bottom of the
4: of the rankings or intensity levels overall um, for the treatments. But I think one of the things that that struck me, which was interesting, was that while the, the pellets, I'm sorry, the, the spent material was always the lowest, there was a really significant varietal effect. In fact, the the Simcoe spent treatment had more aroma statistically than any of the Cascade um, treatments, extract, pellet, or, or spent. And that was um, kind of a surprising thing. It meant that, that while even though the spent pellets were lower in aroma than their extract and full-on pellet counterparts there were some varieties that still contributed surprisingly amount uh strong aroma um relative to so the the pellets were not clearly absent of aroma and they they certainly were not ubiquitous in in a generic kind of hoppy aroma there was there was a varietal character that was present um in these spent hot products
0: that is quite a surprise, uh, in, especially with um, the one uh, Simco uh, spent sample that that was so high. What else can we take away from that? Is there anything else we can glean from that
4: very high number? That's a good question. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, this was this was kind of the the, the proof of concept study for some <clears throat> some later work that we would look at, where we would focus on. Um, I'm trying to identify what's the source of this material, these glycosides that that Daniel was talking about. Um, I think, you know, it was an interesting kind of hmm in that how much, how much hop aroma is left behind in all this spent material when hops are extracted. And as you point out, John, like when you try to use extract as a replacement for pellets, Um, from a flavor perspective not from a bittering perspective it sometimes doesn't match up and is there something that's in that spent material that that is important clearly the uh, the chief amount of aroma is coming from the extract Uh, we can see that here that's it's it's not like the spents are on the at the same order of magnitude but there is clearly something important in them and it's determining what that is
0: you mentioned that this was kind of a you know, proof of concept. Um, I was going to ask if you thought that the Hop Research Council, which which funded this study, uh, would pursue um, you know additional research in this area, or were they mostly looking for confirmation that the supercritical CO two extraction process wasn't simply leaving something extremely valuable left on the table?
4: No, actually, this after this, we got two more years of funding looking at, at glycosides um, and. Um, or at least that in in, portion, in in part glycosides were were part of the the research project, and it it formed kind of a starting basis for for daniel's doctoral thesis. i mean his his work in his doctoral thesis was was ultimately in and almost in its entirety um, provided by the inbev by Latour foundation. but some of the starting jumping off points were the information we learned coming out of this um, HRC project.
0: Tom, I thought now might be an, uh, an appropriate time for you to uh, let listeners know about a very exciting event that's coming up in Corvallis uh, this coming July.
4: Yeah, so in in July, end of July, July 25th to 28th, uh, here in Corvallis, we're having a second international hop symposium on beer flavor, or- flavor in beer. Uh, we had one of these in 2007. It was a joint effort between MBA and ASBC uh, to provide a topical conference uh, of international scope. And, and so we're this is kind of like the 10-year reunion, so to speak. Um, and so it's going to be a three-day conference that features speakers from around the world, kind of a the who's who of people doing hops flavor research from Japan, from Belgium, from Germany, from the U.S., Along with some some folks who are also doing some genetics and some agronomics, but it's all directed towards uh, hop flavor in beer, and uh, and we'll also have some really interesting roundtable sessions with brewers or with breeders. So we have one on um, from the hop quality group talking about some of the research that they're doing. Uh, we've got another one on breeding and growing hops in areas outside the Pacific Northwest. Um, there's a kind of a movement now for for um, regional and local hop growing. Um, we've got a session on advanced hop products, um, things like downstream bittering products, but even things as exotic as looking at terpenes that might be extracted from hemp or cannabis as, as potential um, flavoring agents. And then we also have a, a roundtable session on dry hopping. And so we've got folks that are sort of leaders in that field, um, People from Stone and from Firestone Walker and Ten Barrel um, coming to talk about um, dry hopping practices. So it should be a, a really interesting, informative meeting that brings together people who have got a love of hops and uh, and their use in beer.
0: Well, I'm hoping to make it out there as well. It sounds great. And for those of you listening who'd like to learn more, you can go to hopsflavor2017.com uh, to learn more and to register for the event. All right, Daniel, Tom, keep up the good work. It's always fun to hear about your adventures. And thanks for joining me here on the Master Brewers Podcast. I hope you guys have a great day.
4: Yeah, thank you for inviting us. Yeah, thanks, John.
0: If you enjoyed today's interview with Daniel and Tom, be sure to check out the peer-reviewed paper in the Master Brewers Technical Quarterly, Volume 54, Number 1. You can get there from the Publications tab or by typing supercritical into the industry's best search bar at mbaa.com. Have you figured out which brewing conferences you'll be attending this year? There's one that should be your top priority. Like the Olympics, it only happens every four years, and it attracts the best minds in brewing from across the globe. The World Brewing Congress is hosted by ASBC and Master Brewers in collaboration with the Brewery Convention of Japan, the European Brewery Convention, and the UK's Institute of Brewing and Distilling. It's hands down my favorite brewing conference, and is packed with the best technical presentations, posters, and networking you will ever experience. If you're serious about your career in brewing, you should be there. WBC 2020 will be held August 1st through the 4th in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find all the details at worldbrewingcongress.org or just follow the link in the show notes. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, ABS, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Firmenis. So please let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support.